The Real Estate Sessions is sponsored by AdWorks. AdWorks makes digital advertising brilliantly simple. Choose your zip code and build your brand. Enter an address and promote your listings. Or upload your list and stay top of mind with your sphere of influence. And if you go to adworks.com slash billrisser, you'll do more than just build brand awareness or nurture your network. Right now, you get to save 15% off your purchase, and I get to send 10% to the Colon Cancer Alliance, an organization that means a great deal to me. That's www.adworks.com slash Bill Risser. And when a member talks to a legislator about what's impacting their business, it carries much more weight than a paid government affairs director or me or, any, you know, it is, it, the volunteers, they are what makes the association work. Welcome to the Real Estate Sessions and join industry leaders as they share their stories and offer tips and advice to real estate professionals. Now your host, Bill Risser of Chicago Title, Arizona. Our guest for episode 70 is CEO of the Scottsdale Area Association of Realtors, Rebecca Grossman. Uh, Rebecca joined SAR, we'll call it SAR for short, in 2012 by way of the Virginia Peninsula Association of Realtors, where she served as CEO there for 17 years. Among her many other accomplishments, Rebecca led the team at SAR in the acquisition and design of Venue 8600, we'll talk about that, which relocated the SAR headquarters from Old Town Scottsdale up to the Scottsdale Perimeter Center. Uh, lots to talk about. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Rebecca. Thank you. Glad to be here. So doing a little digging and trying to figure out where you grew up, because that's what I, I'm curious by nature, and I always like to find out more about our guests. I, can I deduce from the fact that, that you're a Kent State grad that you grew up in Ohio? Um, actually, I grew up in Michigan um, oh. until I was 14, and um, my dad relocated uh, his job to the Cleveland area, I believe. If I recall, he was actually working there for almost a year before the family moved. I'm one of six kids, so we're we're a big clan. And um, so uh, much to the dismay of all of us, because, you know, when you're 14, you have a lot of friends, um, and you're kind of set in, in where you live. And he moved us to the Cleveland area, Berea, which is outside of Cleveland on the east side. So that's how we ended up there. And he worked for the Cleveland Metro Parks there as um, um, one of their uh, interpretive center directors. It was hard, you know, at that age, but I managed to appreciate it over time because the school system there in Berea was far better than what we were getting in rural Michigan outside of Battle Creek. I worked with a sales executive at Chicago Title back in like 2002, and she was also from Berea, which is interesting. That's not that big a town, right, to, to run into a couple different It's not. It has, it has a college, Baldwin-Wallace. I've always found that, you know, living in college towns is really great to yeah, um, it, it turns out, and my dad is actually still living there. So let's see. So you spend uh, your the, your later teen years in in your college life in uh, Ohio. I'm just going to assume you were pretty happy last June when the Cavs came back from three one down to beat the Warriors. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, it was wonderful. Um, it we've I've always loved the Cavs, and and especially because my mom was a huge basketball fan and. Um, up until the very day where she um, had the medical issues that finally resulted in her passing, she was at a Baldwin-Wallace basketball game. So she loved the Cavs. She never did get to see them do what they accomplished this year. So 
um, it was just such a cool thing to have happen. Well, I love the fact that you get to, that you, you got to enjoy that. <clears throat> you got to enjoy that, you know, kind of with your mom at your side in a way, right? Yeah, absolutely. I can yeah. hear her cheering. <laughs> <laughs> and, and unfortunately, the, the Indians couldn't keep the run going in Cleveland, but still, what an amazing year. So I think uh, all Clevelanders have to be just very pumped up and excited that that whole thing is over for the most part and lots of good things to look forward to. And I'm sure football. <laughs> Browns, but you know, my daughter lives in Cleveland. She works for the Cleveland Symphony Orchestra, so she's just riding high on all the energy that's been going on within that sports side of it. So, so you're at Kent State. What did you major in there? And I'm just gonna guess, like working at a real estate association probably wasn't on your radar while you're in school. Am I right? No, and and don't laugh about my major. Um, I was a music major. Oh, I think that's impressive. I, yeah. <laughs> I know. People's like, what? How did you end up doing what you're doing now? And it's kind of a long story, but that was my major. Um, and unfortunately, I over the last, since I moved here, I, I'm not using my voice very much. I was a vocal performance and followed by a education degree in music. And I actually used to teach. So. Well, now, we haven't, we'll, we haven't talked about Star Night, but... Is there ever a chance that you're going to perform or have no. you performed on stage? No. <laughs> no, I, no, I don't know. That's the, for the members to enjoy and be a part of. I would, no, I didn't feel comfortable ever engaging in that arena. Um, so, yeah, no. I, I might have to um, start a, a movement <clears throat> in the uh, Scottsdale Association that kind of like bring Rebecca back kind of a thing. That'd be fun. <laughs> Well, I did perform at um, Paula Servan's installation year before last. I actually did sing for her um, in front of that group. So, you know, every once in a while I get uh, through my shyness and, and we'll do something for someone as special as Paula. So, um, and that was really fun. Well, obviously it runs in the family. You mentioned your daughter works, you know, with the symphony in, uh, in Cleveland. So that's awesome. Right. I think it's such a, such a talent. She's a singer. She's got a fantastic voice and things with the band and very, um, very engaged in that whole music world. Let's figure out then what, what got you interested and in, in how did you, you know, find that first position? It sounds like in Virginia, maybe it was some, maybe it was in Cleveland, I don't know, but how did you get involved with? Well, yeah, actually my journey is a little longer than uh, Virginia. I was teaching school, as I mentioned, and, um, was married to my first husband at the time, who's my daughter's father, and we moved to Georgia. And I was told that there was a waiting list for teachers where you couldn't even get an interview for years. So it was a little frustrating because it was like, oh, okay, well, that career looks like that's over for now. Um, so I, we had purchased a home, and I had a wonderful experience with the realtor who was there and she was bugging me and saying hey you know you need to get your real estate license and you need to get into the business and I'll help you and all of that so I thought what the heck and I went ahead and I got my license and you know I um, I did okay but I always knew it just wasn't quite right for me but what was interesting is I got very connected to that association of realtors in Athens Georgia and just loved the association executive there, she was very inspiring to me. And I always thought, wow, that's a job I really could wrap my arms around. It's, it's so varied and, and interesting. 
Um, so then we moved to Clemson, South Carolina, and I was looking in the newspaper, and their, their association, the Tri-County Association of Realtors, was looking for an association executive. I had no idea what was involved, but I went and applied. And um, I like to tell the story. It makes me chuckle now because as a school teacher, I would, you know, my salary wasn't great, but it was decent. And um, I remember when they offered me the job, this, uh, you know, um, South Carolina gentleman with a real nice droll. droll he said, um, "Listen, little lady, we're prepared to offer you fifteen thousand dollars a year." <laughs> I just, my jaw dropped, (laughs) and I'm going, okay, well, that's a start, and um, I believe I got them up to 60,000, but it was, (laughs) it was uh, quite a challenge, it was quite a challenging position, and it was actually a good thing, because it was a small association, they had 250 members, it was a one-person job, you did everything, you ran the MLS, you ran the association, Um, you had no staff. So I actually learned quite a bit. They had gotten in all kinds of trouble. They were, the National Association of Realtors was about to jerk their charter because their bylaws hadn't been in compliance for years. So I learned all about bylaws and how to get those in compliance. Um, They had, uh, they did not um, have any technology, so I did a lot uh, with that. And um, they actually had, had an error by their CPA where they fi- they filed their nonprofit association the uh, the association side of it as for profit and oh. the MLS as not for profit so it was reversed oh no and I had to work with the IRS and their CPA for like years to get that straightened out so but you know you learn when you have to fix things and so it was a it was a good job I think there's no better way of learning a position than having to fix other people's mistakes. You get to see everything that went wrong and you, you can make sure you don't do it the same way, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So after that, um, I had, um, again, to follow the, my husband at the time and he was a, uh, got a teaching job up in Ohio. So we moved to Ohio in the Lorraine County Association. World. You know, I really got lucky. Um, every time I moved, there was, you know, an an association job that happened to be open. So this time it was the Lorraine County Association of Realtors, which is, again, on that um, east side of Cleveland. And um, it was great because I, at the time, I really felt I needed to be close to my family. My daughter was very young. Um, So that job worked out uh, uh, really well for me. And it was after I'd been there for, I think, about four years uh, was when I moved to Virginia and took that job. And that's where I was prior to this. 17 years with an association, there, you, you really put in a lot of time in the, at the Virginia Peninsula Association of Realtors. Talk about some of the things right. that, yeah, talk about some of, the, some of the opportunities and some of the things you're able to accomplish there. So I absolutely love that association, and every time I see them and their leadership during the NIR meetings, you know, it's all hugs around, and, and we really, um, I had a really great experience them. Uh, they were a high military area. They had a lot of you know, retired generals and, and high-level thinkers from the military that just ended up re, you know, living there and um, doing civilian work or whatever. But those people often were getting into the real estate business. And therefore, I had a fantastic um, board of, of you know, retired, of retired generals as a president one time. And just really um, very forward-thinking people, uh, just 
an excellent experience all around. I really think that they treated me as well as any CEO uh, could be treated. The, the, you know, the collaboration that we did. Um, we did do a new facility with that group as well, um, and that was a great experience, and I think helped me, you know, when that same issue came around here. Um, but everybody says, well, why did you leave? And I'm always saying, well, my husband was in new homes, and for those of you who recall, you know, seven, eight years ago, the new homes market just absolutely collapsed. Right. So it was all about timing with us. We had just built a new home in a subdivision where he was working in a beautiful community in Virginia called Gloucester. And, you know, when he, well, he lost his job, their, their subdivision went into foreclosure. The builder actually committed suicide the following year. It, it couldn't have been worse. Right. So, you know, we kind of looked at each other at some point and we said, you know, one of us is going to have to make a big change. It was interesting. You know, I, I had talked to Jerry Matthews a couple times. I talked to some people about maybe I was interested and I started getting calls and there were a number of positions that were coming open at that time. And um, I remember Jerry called me and he says, hey, Rebecca, Scottsdale Area Association Realtors, I think it would be a great fit for you. I was like, Scottsdale? I didn't know anything about Scottsdale. Um, only thing I knew is we had relatives in Cottonwood, and I would fly into Phoenix and head north, and I never you know, even went into the Scottsdale area, which is unfortunate because now that I know how you know, wonderful and beautiful it is, I was like, wow, why didn't I visit before? Right. Um, but anyway, I went home, and I talked to my husband, and his eyes, when I said Scottsdale, his eyes, eyes just opened wide and he said Scottsdale oh my god they've got a ton of culinary schools um, and so you know it's it's history now but my husband is a fantastic was a fantastic cook at that time and, and everybody was always telling him that he should become a chef. at that point if I hadn't have gotten the job I was going to be in really big trouble with him <laughs> so, okay <laughs> it already moved <laughs> yeah you know, and you know how the process of, you know, um, when a search committee is formed and they're bringing in candidates and they bring in, you know, like six and they reduce it down to two. And it's a long, very stressful process. Um, but fortunately, our marriage is still intact because I did get the job. <laughs> Let's talk about then the differences because there have to be, you know, real estate is such a state by state industry, right? Um, you know, with the different state regulations and all that stuff and not to mention just the different markets, but what are the biggest differences between Virginia and Arizona um, in terms of, you know, real estate or, you know, your role at the association? Sure. Um, well, there are a couple things that come to mind when I, when uh, you ask that question, because first of all, um, the market is quite different from the standpoint that, you know, we had at any given time between 1,400 or 1,500 realtors in, in the area where I was. And there was um, pretty good business for, you know, at least I would say 50% of those people. Here, we have, you know, over 8,000 members. And I would say that the business uh, available is, doesn't support, you know, it really doesn't support those numbers. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, yeah, so so you do have, uh, from what our research is showing, we do have quite a few 
members who they have their license, they pay their dues, they want to be realtors, but they're um, kind of cycling in and out of the business and um, you really, if, if we have, I would say, 20% that are, it's their full-time job, it's the way they sustain their families, it's, you know, it is, it is their profession. Um, that gives you a lot of challenges uh, in some ways. So the, I think that would be the biggest difference between the two organizations, working for those two organizations. Um, the other thing was when I left uh, Virginia Peninsula, we had had about five years of uh, where short sales were really the predominant um, business that was going on. So our association was very involved in educating the members. I actually uh, taught the SFR, the Sales and Foreclosure Resource Certification, along with uh, this fabulous attorney that um, we did it as uh, co-instructors. So I was teaching quite a bit uh, at that time. And I also was involved in mediation. I actually did the mediation for the association for buyers oh. and sellers. Wow. Uh, I was certified with this. Uh, Supreme Court of Virginia and did um, mediations for the court systems as well. So, and that is really a passion of mine that I, I miss a lot because I'm just too busy to do any of that right now. I don't teach as much. I teach new member orientation and I do quite a bit of present, presenting to um, some of the real estate companies and to our RMSs, but I don't get to teach as much. Um, the other thing I think that's different is just that military concentration that we had on the peninsula. Um, so there was a lot of teaching members about with the VA loans and there were always issues about, you know, listings and sometimes they'd put in the listings, you know, no VA loans and of course the whole community would be up in arms because that would be like everyone that was in the market. You had a lot of um, differences I think in the market there. Well, we've got you now in Scottsdale, and let's talk a little bit about SAR and how things are working out there. Um, I, I, first, I, I got to talk about uh, Venue 8600. I mean, it is spectacular, and I got to peek at it early while they were building it and, and get, get a look at some of the things that they were doing, and that had to be in a, a massive project. So can, can you tell us about that process? I mean, I know it opened in, eight, in, or opened in 2015, but I'm sure you started that a lot earlier. So can you kind of give us that timeline? Yeah, so um, when I came to Scottsdale Area Association of Realtors, I, I had asked them if they had any plans um, such as what ultimately ended up happening or, or even relocating, and, and they said no. So I kind of came into the job thinking, okay, you know, I don't have that big kind of a project on the horizon. Um, and I don't think they really uh, knew how um, important it was to the members until we did strategic planning. I brought, you know, Adorna Carroll, we brought her in right after I was hired. Um, they did not have a strategic plan and had, had not adopted any um, real business plan. So one of my first suggestions was we need to do some strategic planning. So we brought in Adorna Carroll and we did, but we did focus groups leading up to that. And it was fascinating to me I wasn't hearing anybody complain about the building from within the organization, but when you brought in the members, every focus group mentioned the challenges of the current facility. Uh, the parking, the uh, fact that when you went out the back door, you were literally stepping into an alley, and it's 
it had some safety issues there. They complained that, you know, when they had surgery, they couldn't come to any classes because we had one classroom upstairs and no elevator. So it was, it was a very prominent message that was coming out of those focus groups. So when that information went to strategic planning and with the Dorna Carroll's help, they identified that this was definitely something that had to be addressed. So from there, um, they appointed a facilities task force, and it and a, we kind of laugh about this now. It took them a year to come back to the board and say we've determined that the current facility no longer meets our needs. <laughs> and <laughs> and you know that's just um, that kind of goes to somehow you know a large organization sometimes it's hard to get things done quickly and so unfortunately that did take a year um, it it did kind of uh, push us a little bit uh, behind in the time what what would have been a realistic time timeline uh, or normal timeline so then that, after that happened another group was formed and they started looking at properties. Um, I don't know if you knew this, but we actually had a contract on the Cardinal building. Do you know which one that is? Yeah. Wow, um, I did not know that. Between, yeah, between Costco and Home Depot on Hayden. And every time I drive over there, I think, oh, my God, what this would have been a nightmare. It would have just been so inconvenient um, for members to get in and out for after your big class is over for that, you know, for the in, uh, egress and ingress there. So... Yeah, so I was really glad when that contract fell through, and uh, it was shortly after that that this property was identified um, on Anderson Drive. And the, the best thing about it was it had a vacant lot next to it, uh, because as I tell people, uh, realtors do not carpool, and you have to have plenty of parking. So that really made this location ideal. Um, and then from, from there, it was a matter of what do we want the facility to be. And a lot of people don't even know that this was an existing building. They think we built from the ground up, but um, it was a shell. And uh, you can ask people like Patrick Lewis or David Schmidt, uh, Lewis McCall, first time we walked into it, it was, it smelled terrible. It looked terrible. It was as nasty as you could get. And it was a vision really by those people who were so instrumental in defining what we wanted, um, you had to have that vision. And and if, if you haven't, you know, people listening haven't been over here, they need to come and see what uh, all of those efforts. And, you know, everybody's like, oh, you know, they kind of give me credit for, for so much of this. And I, I totally dismiss that because it really, the only thing I did was allow things to happen. If I heard that the association wanted to move in a specific direction, I didn't, you know, I, I helped them get where they wanted to be. Um, and it, the vision of this place was volunteers. And, and in some ways, you know, I would have been more conservative. And I know, you know, when I talk to Janet, she's going through the same process, Janet Kane over at the Southeast Valley Association. You know, we're kind of the ones holding, trying to hold things back. And um, it's the volunteers usually that, that, are more of the risk takers, and I think in this uh, situation, it it was the right thing, and it turned out wonderfully. Let's let's keep the conversation going about volunteerism uh, in the world of realtors. It, as as somebody who came to this, this is my second career, right? I started with, with Chicago Title in 2000, and had really no idea about 
how association driven the realtor world is, right? From NAR down to the state, down to the locals. And none of this works without really dedicated people who volunteer a ton of time. So can you talk about that and just, you know, your, just, just why that's so important? The National Association of Realtors down to all the state and locals is, is an amazing phenomenon. I, you know, there is no other uh, collective group or organization that has that kind of a volunteer engine. And I don't know if it has to do with uh, realtors having more of a flexibility within their own business businesses that allows them to um, to be the type of committed volunteers that they are. It truly is amazing. And so, um, you know, within our organization, we depend on people who are willing to step up. Uh, it would not work without them. You know, my staff is extremely competent and uh, great with ideas and and but they are not in the real estate business. So they don't know, um, you know, what, what is working, what's not working, you know, what, what the, the realtor really is needing from us. So it's those volunteers that really can keep us focused and on track. Um, and when a member talks to a legislator about what's impacting their business, it carries much more weight than a paid government affairs director or me or, any, you know, it is, it, the volunteers are, they are what, makes the association work. Outsiders don't know this, but it's it's a there's a board of directors made up of volunteers, realtors, that set the direction that they want the association to go. And then it's your job as CEO, you know, in, in conjunction with your staff to try and accomplish what path they set for you. And that group changes annually. And that's what you do, am I right? Correct. That's common in our business, you know, when the association executives get together, we're always talking about, you know, oh my gosh, you know, I've got a board member who, you know, refuses to, to read the strategic plan, doesn't, he doesn't care about it, wants to take us in all these different directions. So you really have to keep that in check. Um, that's why a strategic plan is so important because, you know, everything should be measured on that. And a lot of times if the if the uh, board of directors starts moving in a direction away from it, you know, you can kind of pull it out and say, hey, um, this is not part of our plan, and let's get back on task. But, you know, uh, as you mentioned, uh, every board is going to be different. Uh, we've had, since I've been here, um, I, in the five boards that I've gone through, uh, they have been different. You know, we've, we've had some boards that they didn't get along well together. Um, you know, they don't. You know, they argued with each other even after a motion was made in the hallway. But fortunately, personalities, and you do have that changeover. We've got a board now that they're very cohesive, uh, supportive of each other. Uh, they, you know, don't always agree, but they definitely um, allow for the conversation to take place. So I'm, I'm just really proud of that. But, you know, next year I may have another board that could be challenging. I, you just never know. Yeah, it's just it's just part of what you do, um, and you've been doing this now for well over twenty years, twenty five years probably. That it's just uh, you're just used to that the ebb and flow of that sort of yeah. process, right? Yeah, and a lot of it is is you know for me, that's my job, you know, to work with whatever board is 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 elected by the members, 
um, and you know to assist them in, in implementing the strategic plan and you know keeping the budget on target and changing policies that need to be changed. But it, that's part of my job. I think what really is hard for me is when the volunteers are made to feel pressured or stressed by other board members, you know, because they're volunteers. They're not getting paid uh, to do that. And so I, I, I spend a lot of time trying to protect my volunteers basically by, um, you know, talking to individuals um, who, you know, who maybe don't need a little bit more education about what their role is as a board member, you know, just to try to get them, because the worst thing that can happen to me is when a board member comes and says, hey, I'm not going to run for another term because I just, it's not fun, it's not, you know, um, it's not enjoyable, I don't feel like I'm making a difference, you know, that kind of thing. That's really hard for an AE to hear. Well, I applaud you for that. I think that's great. I've watched from afar. I've watched what these people put into the into their associations, and it's just mind-boggling. They're not getting paid for that, so that's great. That's that's good that you recognize that because I don't think a lot of people recognize that. And you know, they're you know they're chastising a board member. It's like, oh my goodness, please, these are volunteers. Yeah, let's chat about some fun things. Um, SAR does some really cool stuff out in the community and lots of different events and activities. Um, can you give us a couple of those that are coming up and that are on the in the, in the plan for 2017? The things that are coming up real quick is our holiday party coming up on December 8th. And this is just a fun time for all of our members. We have it here. We decorate it. We've got a DJ and um, lots of food and drinks. So, um, we're looking forward to that. Uh, the thing I'm most proud of that we will continue in 2017 is we always have a commercial summit. We're big on commercial here. We have a certification from National Association Realtors uh, for our commercial group. They've also, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with MIPM, uh, which is in France. It's an inter international investment conference. Okay. And uh, we we went this past March. It was a real challenge because we had to raise a lot of money to be able to be included in the National Association of Realtors um, uh, exhibit area. And so we're going to be doing that again. Uh, so that's exciting. Our commercial uh, committee is what makes that happen. So yes. that's very cool. We also have a new homes expo that we did last year. It was hugely successful, and we're going to be doing that again. And lots of people don't know this, but we uh, started this. This year, uh, we do pre-licensing and broker courses. We have an agreement with the Hogan School of uh, Real Estate down in Tucson. We have licensed their course materials. We've trained uh, some incredible instructors from within our own membership. So that's an exciting new venture that we have. And, of course, we have classroom space now to do that. So it's very exciting. Well, Rebecca, I've had you here the half hour that I, I asked of you for the for the podcast. And so I'm going to ask you the same question I've asked every single guest on the podcast. And Although you're not a, a a working realtor or a broker, you definitely know the business, and so I think this applies. Um, if, you, if you could give one piece of advice to a realtor just getting started in the business, what would it be? So I think that agents come into this business and they don't understand that truly what they are going to be are educators. By the way, teachers make great realtors. There's a reason for that. You know, uh, an agent needs to know everything there is to know about the market conditions, the trend. It's not enough just to know how to get someone through a transaction. Um, they need to 
be the, uh, the trusted advisor, the person that knows everything about their industry. And the more they share that, the more they talk about it with everybody and anybody they come into contact, the more they will draw a good um, base of business. Because people will look at them and think about them whenever they're thinking real estate. So, you know, I, my advice is don't follow the shiny objects all the time. Um, focus on what really makes a difference, and that is, you know, contacting people, giving people information. You know, people who just um, put flyers on doors or whatever, then all it does is talk about them. It doesn't have one single bit of information about what's going on in those people's markets. You know, maybe a bit, a tidbit about what their HOA is doing. And, and if you give them information, they will come to you. That would be my advice. Rebecca, if somebody wants to reach out to you and ask you more questions or have a conversation with you, what's the best way that they can reach you? Oh, I'm easy to find. <laughs> I'm at the, <laughs> our association office most of the time. Um, so they can call us at 480-945-2651 or anybody can email me at any time. It's Rebecca at ScottsdaleRealtors.org. Rebecca, thank you so much for taking the time today to, to talk about what's going on up in Scottsdale and, and your and your story. It's great to great to hear it, and and I'm I'm a LeBron guy myself, so I hope that uh, the Cavs' success continues. I do too. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. You've been listening to the Real Estate Sessions with Bill Risser of Chicago Title Arizona. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and tell your friends about the Real Estate Sessions as new episodes are published weekly.